This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Welcome back everyone to the City Report podcast. I'm Oli Kirsch, your host for today's episode. Fitting because the name Kirsch comes from the German word for cherry brandy and it was Pep Guardiola popping bottles after his cherry popping blues ensured his job is safe for another week to the disappointment of City Twitter. I'm joined tonight by two guests... Not sure I want to put my name to that intro, but I'm John Ashley. <laughs> I'm Joe Ritchie. And this is the City Report Podcast. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. So, guys, it, it feels like it's been a few weeks coming. Um, we have finally managed to merge two beautiful things together, and that is A, a great performance, and B, a great result. So, 4-1 away down on the South Coast, the second to last of our extended run of away games. We've got Bristol midweek before we bring it back to the Etihad against Newcastle at the weekend. So, what do you guys make of it? John, I'll start with you. Just general thoughts about the game, bright spots, anything you were disappointed with, um, shoot away. I was I was pretty happy when the lineup came out. I think uh, a lot of people were hoping that, that Alvarez would play um, and that that Foden would play as well. Uh, I was slightly surprised to see Grealish in this in the squad as well. So that was a really nice surprise for me. And I, I think the the way that City played was really encouraging. Um, I, I think in terms of like a moment of the match, probably for me is. That, that Rico Lewis interception in the build-up to uh, City's... Was it the opener or was it the second goal? Um, I think it was the opener, yeah. It was the first one. Okay. Um, and just his you know, his desire uh, 
to, to get there, but also his recognition that this is a really big chance if we get the ball in that area. Um, and Lewis was probably my man of the match yesterday. Uh, hmm. So, yeah, really impressed with the, the performance overall. Um, but, but Rico, for me, my man of the match. Yeah, Joe, how about you, mate? Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it was one of those matches that obviously City have had a interesting few weeks, um, like you alluded to in the beginning with results versus performance. And uh, it did feel like this was the type of match that the two needed to come together. And, and when the lineup dropped, I mean, the defense is the defense. I didn't think much of it other than I felt comfortable with it. But seeing that attack... Um, there were certainly questions around what it would look like. I'm not ultimately surprised in the end with with what it was with kind of all Alvarez sitting in behind Holland. And then to me, I, I just think Foden, Grealish, Holland is our best front three. If, if you, you're going to call that a three and anytime I see it, I'm pretty happy. And it worked out pretty well uh, on Saturday. So I, I was thrilled from when the lineups were announced to when the match ended, to be honest with you. Yeah, I just want to pick up on you saying that that's our best front three, and it's, it feels a little bit harsh on Mares, doesn't it? Because he's been the informed man since the World Cup alongside Grealish, and yet it's not controversial to say that he isn't a part of our best front three. Why is that? Is that because Foden's best on the right wing, which means we can't leave Grealish out on the left? Or is it just because of the dynamics of the way that Foden and Grealish on those opposite side works? Why is it that Mares can be so expendable despite his form. Well, I don't really think it's necessarily meant to be a knock on Mars. It's more just reflective of how good of a player Phil Foden is. I mean, he's, what, 22 years old, and he just hit his 200th appearance with City. I mean, we're talking about a very established player who, to me, is probably City's... I think he's City's best overall winger. Um, obviously, this season's been a bit of a weird one for him, but I've always said when he's on the right wing, I just... I think he's almost unstoppable at times. Um, and, and and for Mars, he's had a great season. And he'll continue to have a great season. But, um, you know, City are a club that should have a luxury of riches in multiple positions. And if it means that he has to drop to the bench, like that, that's a great thing for City to have. So, again, it's more a compliment to Phil and his ability to take on players. And I just like the way that he compliments Grealish. Grealish can slow things down a little bit more, retain possession, and fills a little bit more of that chaos ball out on the right. Um, so it's just about balancing things out. And I know that's not really what Pep's favored throughout the season, but from a fan perspective, that's ultimately what I like to see. And I just think when he plays, you know, things happen. I think, though, as well, Joe, it's the difference between Mares and Foden for me is I, I, I know why Pep really likes Mares. It's because he's willing to hold on to the ball and play the safer pass he's mm. still going on up to, to, about Foden in terms of his he wants to play too quickly um and I just I don't think Pep trusts that but I think there's a that this is probably the biggest kind of argument potentially that, that it doesn't actually happen but between fans and Pep is fans want to see Pep play really fast football uh, with City and he has the players to do that and Foden really embodies that Whereas Mares is like, he's patient. He's going to wait for the killer moment. And then he's going to, you know, he is a killer in those moments. Think about Chelsea away. You think mm-hmm. about PSG in the semifinal of the Champions League a couple of seasons ago. But Foden just offers just speed and urgency that, that Mares doesn't. And, and, and 
you know, he's getting to the stage of his career when he, he can't really offer that anymore. And so I think it affects the way Gundogan plays as well. Um, and, and Gundogan was a close second for, for my man of the match yesterday. But, um, you know, the way that Gundogan plays and the freedom that he has, if Foden is a bit wider like he was yesterday and stays wider, it gives the attacking midfielder more, more space. And Gundogan was that guy yesterday. De Bruyne not being in the in the lineup helped him as well. But I, I'm curious of your guys' thoughts on on Gundogan and and the the, the rumours that City are not going to offer him an extension. Am I alone in thinking that that's that's crazy given his given his form in the last two seasons? Go ahead, Ollie. Give your thoughts first. Uh, is it crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I think the the club are in a difficult position. Um, I apologise, it may have even been one of you two, but there was conversation on one of the episodes the other day about City being in a difficult position because we've got Gundogan um, and Bernardo potentially in a position where they could both leave. But mm. if nobody comes in for Bernardo and we extend Gundogan, then we're effectively, I don't want to say stuck because they're three magnificent players. But if we offer Gundo a new contract and Bernardo can't bring in the offer that City wants to see to sell him, then we are still going into next season with a 33-year-old De Bruyne alongside an ageing Gundogan and a Bernardo see, that still wants out. So it, it, it puts us in a bit of a different position. Sorry, go ahead, John, go on. I, I was just going to say about that that phrase, ageing Gundogan. Um, I, I think that the way that Gundogan's career has progressed, I think yesterday was his... 500th senior appearance I think it's, they, they said on the US commentary and so for his age for one thing he hasn't played that many games because of his injuries but I also think that because of his injuries he's actually had to adapt his game really early on in his career to compensate for the things his injuries will not let him do to stay fit mm-hmm. and so I think he has been perfecting this twilight of your career game for the last four or five years and now he's just you know he doesn't need speed he doesn't need you know agility he's just got timing and wisdom that 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 we really need in in that midfield for me to pass on as well we still have to be careful right because david silver is another great example i i fully believe we could have kept david silver on for another year or two and he's still absolutely smashing it at sociedad but around this age you do have to be careful it's a gamble right ultimately at this age it is a gamble because they can have one summer I, some people say now i don't understand how how can they go away for six weeks and come back and they're never the same player but it happens right they go away for summer they have a few beers they don't work out they're not running they're not they're not really taking care of themselves and they come back and whether it's physically or mentally players don't come back the same i mean mares almost slipped into that he came back from summer pep said he was he, well he looked you could see on the pitch he looked out of shape he wasn't He's dragged himself back into the fold, right, Mares, especially since the World Cup. But it can happen. So ultimately, if you extend Gundogan for two years, the next two summers, you are still flipping a coin as to whether he comes back the same player. I, I do think he's magnificent. I do think we should extend him. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't. And I wouldn't say that it's a bad decision necessarily. Uh, Joe? I, I think I think what I would counter that with is a couple of things. One, it's less of a risk, in my opinion, to extend your club captain who was Pep's first signing and has been nothing short of consistent since he's been here than it is to spend a hundred plus million on someone and then 
we know there's usually that one-year betting in period. If you sign Gundogan to two years, <clears throat> say after a year, he's not getting the playing time he wants. He, he's not going to be on a, a contract one year left that he can't be moved on. Like to me, there's absolutely no risk in extending him for two years because I think his game can play in, in, you know, Italy, Spain. It, it can go anywhere. Like there's a market for him, and City aren't going to be looking for a crazy fee. And then on top of that, he's a player who will do so much for those around him. I think we talk about, you know, Phil in the beginning, right? And how he's kind of that only knows one speed and, and, and there needs to be that, that pause, uh, you know, slowing the game down. Gundogan's the exact player in this squad that you'd want to learn it from. So for me, there's, there's no real risk other than a year in six months and Gundogan's not getting the playing time he expects, but, but you know what you get with Gundogan. I don't think that's going to change at least in the next 12 months. And, and after that, you can figure it out. It was a player-coach role as well. You know, I, I think if you look at the bench, we haven't really replaced uh, Lilo uh, and, you know, in that kind of Arteta role. I think Gundogan would be, I think, one of the reasons, again, why his game continues to be so good is because he's already doing his coaching badges. He, his understanding of the game is, is second to none in the squad. So for me, it's it's a no brainer. But I, you know, I, I'm I'm open to being uh, corrected on that. No, you are absolutely right, and it it's something we've seen with other players in the past as well. Vincent Company is a great example. Patrick Vieira, another wonderful example. We have a track record now of integrating players into the coaching staff while they are still at least the world of coaching while they're still with us. And in the case of Vieira, I think he went over to the MLS, didn't he? And then he's come back over. Mm-hmm. And uh, company as well, another great example, went back over to Belgium. He's come back and he's he's having, frankly, astounding success with Burnley. And it looks like we're going to see him in the Premier League next season back with them, um, barring the mother of all slip-ups, which I don't think will happen. So we do have a track record of this. And, and with especially with some of the young lads that are coming through, like Rico, who I want to talk about after the break. There's the uh, to use a cliche, the star boys that I want to focus the second half of the episode on. But especially players like Rico as well. I, I don't think Gundo is a leader, by the way. I don't think he's the best captain we've had in terms of getting you know galvanizing the players. I think that's very much in in Ruben Diaz's court. But from a tactical and mental and coaching perspective, he is a gem. I think we're all in agreement that Gundo Gundo should stay. I think I would be probably less upset than you two by the sounds of it if he did go. But I, I absolutely recognise the value in him staying. And brings me on to my next question just before the break. We'll, we'll just spend a quick minute on this. What does Gundo's form mean for De Bruyne? Because Bernardo's been playing very well. And Gundo's playing well when he has played, when he started at least. De Bruyne has been horribly off form. Is KDB at risk of being benched in what we would consider our strongest 11 games? I mean, I'm curious John's thoughts, but I, from my perspective, quickly, I, I mean, I forgot yesterday, like 30 minutes into the match, I'm like, oh, that's right, Bernardo is not even in this match. I mean, we really only had two true midfielders playing in that match to start to start the game. You have to also talk about with Alvarez. And his impact, he he needs to be, in, in my opinion, in the starting 11, seven, eight times out of 10. I mean, he's he's every time he's in the starting 11 or on the field, he's impactful. And that's also another 
you know, concerned for De Bruyne because he can play that role differently than Kev does, but he, he offers a lot to Holland. So to me, I think, I mean, Kev, it's not a wake up call because I don't doubt his desire or um, professionalism, but he really needs to find form soon. It's not like years past where he can play his way back into form. We, we have players now who can, can take that role and kind of force his hand that we haven't really seen in a few years. Yeah, I, I, I think it's about Kev's role, to be honest. I think the role that Alvarez played yesterday, I, I can definitely see Kev more in that role than in the role that, that Gundogan played yesterday or that Bernardo has played in recent games as well just to get his confidence back up, if anything. Um, I think since the World Cup, he has been really, really poor in terms of his distribution, in terms of his contribution uh, to with his assists and, and things like that as well. Um, he had a good game recently, and I'm struggling to think who that was against, but um, it, it was a really shocking thing to see how kind of drastic that drop-off is that he's had since since the World Cup and you hope he's going to pull out of it but I, I haven't seen any signs recently and I'm concerned about it because you know he was the best midfielder in the Premier League last season and mm-hmm. his 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 drop-off has been incredibly steep I don't know how he's you feel about the- that Ollie. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Uh, it's something I said on the pod the other day. I don't think we're at the point where he can play through it anymore. I think he might need that wake up call. And I'm just looking at the, the the squad that we've got. When we set up in a four three three, Bernardo and Gundo looks like the best option at the moment. When we set up in a three two with Rico and it was like three two three one one or however whatever the shape he wants to actually call it is. But when you look at that, I'm thinking there's still no space for De Bruyne. In that setup, so I'm going to get onto that in a little in, in a minute. The players that come in for the system that we played against Bournemouth, but first we're going to go for a break. Welcome back, part two of the City Report podcast, your place for daily Manchester City content. Today we're talking about the win over Bournemouth, uh, the form that some players are in, the way we lined up, and uh, the next thing I want to talk about is the collection of Starboys. So we've already spoken about Phil. There are three others under 22 that were on the pitch, and that would be Rico, Alvarez, and Haaland. Now, Rico and Alvarez, I think, are intrinsically linked in their places in this team because when we don't go for the traditional 4-3-3 and we look at a three at the back with Rico dropping into midfield, that then allows for Alvarez to have that freedom to be the pressing monster and general nuisance in behind, sat behind Haaland. So... Firstly, I want to ask both of your comments on uh, comments and thoughts on Rico and Alvarez, their performances and where they fit within the squad, and how you see this working going forward. Do they have to be in the team together because of the knock-on effects of having Rico in that role? If Walker's on the pitch, do we need that more traditional 4-3-3? And what is our best 11 now? Does our best 11 include Rico and Alvarez because we look damn smooth in transition with those two on the pitch. So what do you guys reckon? Joe, we'll start with you. Well, it's interesting because if you ask me who our best right back is, I wouldn't say Rico Lewis. If you ask me who our best striker or number 10 is, I wouldn't say Julian Alvarez. 
But if you ask me what players make the most impact on this current Manchester City team, I'd put both of those players in there. Um, and I think it, it goes back to a lot of what Pep's been saying in snippets throughout the season of not necessarily saying he needs a refresh, but just talking about energy and desire and, and players that need to prove themselves day in and day out. And it feels like every time you get a an Alvarez, um, a Rico, an Ake, for example, these players who you just know when they're on the pitch, they're making an impact. John talked about it earlier with that first goal for City. That starts with Rico Lewis breaking up play. I'm not saying Kyle Walker couldn't do that, but I wasn't surprised at all to see Rico make that interception because he's just always there. He's always a nuisance, just like Alvarez is. So if you ask me what's our best 11, I I think it's still kind of difficult to answer because it feels like Pep's still figuring that out himself um, as we go along. But if you said we're playing a top six side this coming weekend, would I have any concerns starting Lewis or Alvarez or obviously Holland if we're going on the under 22? Not in the slightest. I have full trust in both of those players and the positions that they've been deployed in. I uh, I disagree with you, Joe, because I think I'm now at the point where I do think that Rico Lewis is City's best option at right back, uh, and wow, that's that's because of the role that City right backs are kind of asked to do. Um, part of me wonders if this is the kind of shape, you know, with Rico going alongside Rodri in in midfield. This is the kind of shape that that Pep has been striving to get for a really long time, and Kyle hasn't quite gotten to it just because of his right back inclinations. But that's that's not a slight on on, on Kyle Walker at all. I just think that Lewis's footballing brain is ridiculously mature for someone mm-hmm. of his age. Um, his positioning is exceptional. His range of passing, uh, but also his his speed of passing, uh, is is really exceptional for me. Uh, th- there were a couple of you know instances yesterday where it, it was a first touch pass. There was like a there was it was almost a tackle pass that he did, and it, it still looped like high in the air and landed directly on Ruben Diaz's uh, foot. Like on his toe, he didn't have to move, and so I, I think with his ability to kind of sit in that holding midfield position as well, I, I think that's one of the reasons why Calvin Phillips has seen so few minutes, too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, for me, Rico is is up there. Um, Alvarez also, I, I think he's got a much bigger challenge getting into the squad that than, than Rico has. Uh, but he's demonstrated his versatility in terms of the roles that he can play. So he'll get plenty of games as well. Not worried about that. I know that City are very excited about his future. So those two, not 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 concerned about at all. So same with Phil and, uh, and Haaland. Uh, we, we spoke a little bit about Cole Palmer, but he didn't play yesterday. And I think that's that's part of the, uh, part of the problem that he's going to continue to face. Joe. So... So let me ask you real quick, John, because obviously we have differing answers on on the best right back at City at the moment. If just for sake of high level conversation, irrelevant of the opponent, Champions League final tomorrow, right? Take league form out of it, whatever. Come on. Man. Are you pl- are you playing Walker or Lewis? Assuming you don't have to fill out the eleven, but just you know something because that that's where I differ. Like I think Lewis is, I, I trust him in pretty much every game, but I would rely on Kyle's experience, which at the end of the day is probably why. 
I'd say he's still City's best right back. That is such um, a nasty situation to put it, in. It's a nasty situation, but based on historic, you know, the, the the other Champions League final we were involved in, where we didn't play a holding midfielder, I would be like, okay, let's let's play Rico because in case Pep doesn't include a holding midfielder, somebody will go and do it. Uh, but no, I think Rodri would obviously play. Oh man, that is a horrid question. I'm just uh, trying to prove my point. That's all. Yeah, I mean, but again, best eleven. I mean, you look at the you look at the League Cup final today. The the the, the best the, the team that performs better doesn't necessarily win. Um, yeah, the best eleven question's stupid. I'm just trying to yeah. say, you know, you're trying to win a, a big game. Who are you playing between the two? The fact that I have to think about it, I think, demonstrates how good Rico Lewis is. Because sure. you know, six months ago, Kyle Walker, without a doubt, I saw Rico Lewis play in Houston in the summer, and you know it was like, oh, this kid's this kid's not going to make it. And then he comes in and is challenging Kyle Walker for his, his starting spot in in February. So I have no, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure my judgment counts. So <laughs> I'm going to be a relent- relentless Rico propagandist here, and I'll say Rico all day. Um, <laughs> Now we're we're going so we're working our way from back to front here. We've we've covered Rico, we've covered Alvarez, we've briefly covered Foden. Before I get to the big man up top, I just want to cover a stat that Joe has very kindly brought to our attention, which is Phil Foden created seven chances against Bournemouth, the most by a Man City player in a Premier League away game. Important because we have been crap away since James Milner's eight against Aston Villa in October 2014. I feel like I need to put asterisks in James Milner's name after uh, <laughs> how he's how he's been towards City since his move over to Merseyside. But in a team who've been criticised for fluidity and transition and the ability to create chances for Erling Haaland in recent weeks, how important is that stat? And also, regardless of any potential off-field disagreements or disputes or whatever it may be with Pep, does that alone exemplify why Phil Foden is so important to this team? Yeah, he's just nonstop. Um, I don't want to say chaos because I don't think that's fair to Phil. He's just, he's always impactful. Um, You know, for Alvarez, it's more of like a, he'll always be a pressing nuisance for me when Phil gets the ball. He's not thinking about going backwards. He's not thinking about playing the ball sideways. He wants to attack his defender. He wants to get the ball into the box. And um, similar to Kev, right, in the sense that it doesn't always work. It doesn't always come off. You know, your pass completion percentage might not be your Rodri's 93%, but he shows up on the score sheet and he gets an assist. And to me, that's pretty much common for Phil at this point. And um, that's that's saying a lot. So Side note on, on that James Milner stat, I just looked up that, Villa away, October 2014. City won that game 2-0, thanks to goals from Yaya Torre in the 82nd and Sergio Aguero in the 88th minute. <laughs> Some things never change. Well, the ever-reliables, isn't it? The ever-reliables. And talk about ever-reliable. <laughs> we'll go forward then to the last one. I feel like instead of under-22s, I should have said four under-24, because these are the star boys of the City team. And it's Haaland up top, 27 goals now, 27 Premier League goals. He has overtaken, and this shocked me, he's overtaken Sergio Aguero for the most goals for Man City in a Premier League campaign. We still have a good chunk of the season left to play. When Aguero's departure was announced, 
I thought it could be years before we saw anybody as lethal as him up top for City. But within a couple of years, Haaland has already broken a bunch of his records. He's broken a pretty big one against Bournemouth. Um, I, d- I don't really even have a question about Haaland. I just want to chat about Haaland. Man. He's he's so good. And do you know what has, has pleased me the most about Haaland is his ability to link up when we need him to. It, I, I don't actually like seeing Haaland dropping in and linking up because it does show that we're falling short in some areas. But he didn't need to that much against Bournemouth and he was a nuisance off the shoulder, making the runs, in the box, obviously in the right place in the right time for the goal. Foden's presence will have a lot to do with that, that Haaland didn't need to drop in and create. But, I mean, this is Haaland's first season. How far do we think this guy's going to go for City? It depends on uh, his fitness. Uh, It depends on the players around him as well. Although I'm confident with, you know, the, 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 you talked about the aging midfield that, that is, that is a concern uh, and potentially Bernardo exiting all that kind of stuff. Um, But the youth and talent that we have on the wings, I think can come in field a bit as well. Not, not so worried there. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I, Haaland just feels like the biggest bonus in 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 city in city history almost in terms of his dad was city captain and, and that was one of them and he was a city fan growing up so that was the main reason that he ended up at city and obviously playing under Pep Guardiola etc but I, I do think the city thing swung it and yeah I just I, I try not to have any expectations for him because one is probably going to break them and, uh, and rather than just meet them but also he is he's such a luxury for city after recent seasons that i i don't want to start depending on him at all mm. um and and i think city are doing a relatively good job of 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 not doing that despite the fact he scored 27 goals which sounds counterintuitive but yeah it, it also felt like the squad very much heard Pep Guardiola um, after the last game and or last couple games with Holland's just not getting the service that he warrants. Um, and Pep himself has said, you know, Holland's not a player who can create chances himself. He needs players to give him the the shot, you know, the cross into the box, pass, through balls, whatever it may be. And it didn't always look great yesterday uh, on Saturday. I'll be honest, but th- there was at least the through balls, the balls over the top, the crosses, and it might not always come off, but throughout 90 minutes in a match, it's going to get you a goal. It's going to get you an assist. And Holland, I mean, it got all Alvarez his goal. Holland almost had a brace yesterday. Uh, he, he very well could have scored had that gone uh, the underside of the crossbar. So definitely a, another promising match for him. And I think the sky's the limit for for him in the city side. I'm going to, uh, before we end the episode, then I'm going to ask you a question about Holland. I'm going to put you both on the spot. Uh, the single season goal record for a 38-game season is Mohamed Salah with 32 goals. The record all-time Premier League for the 42-game seasons held by Andy Cole, 34, and Alan Shearer, 34. Will Haaland break one, both, or neither? And how many will he finish up on? Assuming he stays fit. I have less... I mean, knock on wood here, but I have less... I think that fitness concern 
conversation will slowly dwindle compared to his Dortmund days. But uh, I'd be astonished if he didn't beat Salah's record. Um, I mean, he has 27 goals in 24 matches. I, I think I think he'll get 39. 39. Beats it by clean five and over a goal per game. John, what about you, mate? I think I think he'll beat both. I, I think he'll get thirty-six. Uh and he'll probably get it by like middle of April and then they'll start just saving him if we're still going in the Champions League, going deep in the Champions League. Uh we'll we'll start just kind of wrapping him up in cotton wool for that. <laughs> Going to agree. I'm going to go with a final tally of 35. So a little bit more pessimistic than you two, but optimistic enough that he's going to break every record going in his first ever season. We are going to wrap up there. If you enjoyed this episode, go back, listen to our others, follow us, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, everything and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts on. I've been Ollie Kirsch, joined by John and Joe at the City Report Podcast. We will see you tomorrow. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport, powered by fans.